Hi, and welcome to Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, the host. Uh, if you want to call us, we're going to give you a number. It's a live call-in show, and you can do that in about uh, 15, 20 minutes. All right, let's begin, if we can, with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, and uh, we petition your spirit to be with us, the viewers, uh, myself, and all the operators, and the camera operators, and people involved in the show. Also be with the callers, Lord, that we'll be able to have an open uh, communication and understand you and your word better. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you fine and faithful viewers uh, write or call and they ask, how can you help? Many want to contribute financially or help out in some other way. Some of you have kindly sent books and poems and shirts and dinner invitations, and we, we appreciate this greatly. Uh, I want to take a moment and ask you for two specific things regarding heart of the matter. The first one is we need your prayers. That is what is going to make this ministry move forward, is prayer. Nothing else is more important than your prayers. I need them every day. I'm a regular guy. I need them to overcome myself and to overcome my own flesh. So we need your prayers in order to keep this ministry moving forward. And the second area is we need you to share the show. So if you know people who might be interested, share, share Heart of the Matter with them. And if not on the television, if they're not in this state or in Idaho, then tell them how to get to it online. Anywhere in the world you can reach Heart of the Matter. And we just ask that you share the website with your friends, with your LDS neighbors, with other Christians, so that the show can continue to go forth. So we need your prayers, and we need you to share that. Every month, we receive hundreds of calls and emails and letters loaded with questions and sometimes some very frank accusations. Some of them are from people genuinely wanting to know the Lord. Some of them are from people genuinely wanting to kill me. Some of them are from people who are they're not sure what's going on. And so I thought tonight I would go through and I would look at our emails. And so last week I went through 348 emails and I summarized all the questions down, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through these questions starting with the most asked all the way down to the most also frequently asked. And there's about 37 questions, and I'm going to read them quickly, give you a response, something to think about, so that you can get uh, at least my opinion or what I think the Bible says about the topic you're speaking of. The number one question in one way or another that is asked is, Dear Sean what was it really that caused you to leave the Mormon church? Why don't you just come back and do what you know you should? That is probably asked more than anything else. My book spells it out, which is available to you free if you can't afford it. And it's impossible for me to go back where the Lord has pulled me out from. Um, I could not overcome my sin nature as a Latter-day Saint. And I'm not talking necessarily about an outward sin nature, but I'm talking about my heart. I knew my heart was still sinful. And I couldn't, no matter what I tried or did, including a very obedient two-year mission, I could not overcome myself. And so I turned it over to the Lord. He changed my heart. My life changed. My perspective changed. The way I see His Word changed. And that is why I left the church and that is why I won't go back. Number two, what do you hope to accomplish with this show, this book, and this website? Number one, we want to help Latter-day Saints understand the reality and the necessity of being born again through faith in Jesus Christ. That is our first priority in our ministry. The second priority is, is to get the LDS Church to recognize the Bible as God's inerrant word. 
Those are the two principal things that we stand on in our ministry. That's what I started really trying to preach on this show. There's a lot of stuff we go off on, but that is the main thing. Have you been born again through faith in Jesus Christ? Do you accept his word as infallible and errant and trustworthy in your life? Three, you say you want to get Mormonism to understand the Bible and to focus on spiritual rebirth, but what you really want to do is destroy the Mormon church, don't you? Yes, I do. Uh, but only to the extent that the LDS church fails to bring people to Jesus through spiritual rebirth and fails to let their members trust the Bible wholly. If Latter-day Saints or if the LDS Church gets their members to understand spiritual rebirth and become reborn through Jesus by faith and to embrace the Bible, all that other stuff will fall into place. So in a sense, yes, that question is correct or that accusation is correct, but in another sense it's not. Number four, how does a person go about being born again? What is the process? Does it ever, does it happen once or over and over and over again? Does it take a lifetime? What do I need to do to experience this? A pregnant woman gives birth to a child at one sitting, for lack of a better expression. Birth does not occur with a child over the period of a life. It happens immediately, okay? And then the child grows over that span of time and grows and matures and learns and fails. And, okay, so that's another part. So spiritual rebirth is the same way. When you're born again, when you accept Jesus Christ as the only means of your salvation, the only means, his blood, you are reborn. And if you don't have some big metaphysical experience where you, you really change inside, and I had one like that, but if you don't have that, that doesn't mean you haven't been reborn. You have faith. You trust in the Lord's word that he said he'll give you a new heart, and he will. The next part of it is the lifelong process, is getting your life in line with his and his word. And, and so that is part of rebirth. But the first part, turn it over to Jesus' experience, is immediate. You don't have to go through that over and over again. What you have to do is then get your will and your life in line with his word. That happens over time. We're babes in Christ at first. We have difficulty. We fail. Today, I failed miserably as a Christian. I got into a, a discussion with somebody and I failed miserably as a Christian. I've been a Christian since 97. It doesn't mean I'm going to go back and ask for rebirth. I know I'm saved in the kingdom of God. I know I have that assurance. But I have to repent and I have to change that and work with the Lord in helping me in the, in the area I failed in. Okay, finally, there's resurrection. That's the last part of total regeneration. And we know when that happens after this life. Next question, how could you believe in the church and serve a mission and accept the Book of Mormon and then turn from it? Turn from it. The Book of Mormon is a piece of 19th century fiction produced by Joseph Smith. He was the author. You can trust it if you want to trust it. Uh, I'll take the Bible hands down and no other thing. I was taught to believe the Book of Mormon as a young man. I was taught that the Book of Mormon was the most correct book as a missionary, and I shared that, and I was taught to believe those things. So when I came to understand those, that not to be the truth, I turned away from it. Um, and being born again and understanding his word is part and parcel of that. You can experience that too. Test it. See if I'm lying. What do I have to get you to draw? What is my devious meaning in trying to get you to go and turn your life over to Jesus Christ and be born again and read the Bible? What devious thing do I have up my sleeve when I'm asking you as a Latter-day Saint to give that test a try? How much danger am I putting you in to do that? 
then if someone says, well, you shouldn't do that, you got to question what they're trying to get keep you in. I mean, there's something wrong if someone says, no, you shouldn't really try to be born again and you really shouldn't try to understand the Bible better. There's something wrong with someone who's doing that. I'm proposing try to understand and come to know the Lord by giving your will and life over to him. We'll talk more about that later. Next question. Once you are saved, are you always saved? Yes, if you abide in Christ. There's a big argument between Calvinism and Arminianism. I'm not going to go down that road, but I just want to say this. Uh, Chuck Smith, a, a guy who's kind of mentored me, and I really appreciate the man in his walk, his life, his, uh, and his approach to the scriptures, says that when he has somebody come up who says they're Christian and they're living in sin, he tells them that the Bible says that the sins they're living in will put them in hell. And he doesn't preach that once saved, always saved. But if he has somebody else who's struggling with their salvation, saying, I really try to please the Lord, but I just don't know that I'm saved, he preaches once saved, always saved. The Bible teaches both things. And you have to take the Bible in context. And in context, if you're abiding in the vine, if you're abiding in Christ, you've been born again, that's saved, always saved. And true Christians will want to abide in Christ. Uh, do you believe in a literal hell? Yes, Jesus taught about it. I trust it is there. What gets you there? This is going to sound controversial. What gets you to hell is not having faith in Jesus Christ. It is not your sin. Your sin was taken care of by Jesus 2,000 years ago. It is not the sins you commit that you have committed, are going to commit, or will commit, even though it was redundant. It is your lack of faith in him who suffered and paid for those sins. That is a very important point that uh, Latter-day Saints need to understand. Okay, so it is not uh, having that faith that Jesus paid for those sins. Now, after you come to know him, you're not going to want to sin, but still. Uh, most people hold on to the idea that sin keeps them from God. Another question I get a lot is, what do you think of homosexuals? And this is what I think. I think homosexuality is a sin. I think that murder is a sin. I think that lust is a sin. I think that stealing from the store is a sin. And I think that uh, homosexuality, this is going to sound controversial, is not what's going to keep the homosexual from living with God. What's going to keep the homosexual from living with God is not being born again and not having faith in Jesus Christ. Now, why can I say that? Because when you're born again, which homosexuals need to be, and when they have faith in Christ, he will deal with them and their homosexuality. And he will work the mighty work in their life. So we can say it's not the homosexuality, it is the homosexual who will not accept Jesus Christ as their personal savior, humble themselves enough to be broken and turn their will over to God's. That's what keeps them in hell. Next question. Oh, this is the number one accusation I get and it's kind of a compilation. Quote, you have no idea what you're talking about. You are an idiot. Apparently you've never listened when you were a member. We are Christian. We believe in Jesus Christ. His name is the name of our church. We end our prayers and talks in his name. Duh. Why don't you give up trying to hurt the kingdom of God on earth and just crawl back under the rock from which you came? I get a lot of emails and letters telling me that I have no idea that I'm talking about. This is very intriguing to me. So let's get to the heart of the matter on this issue right now. First of all, if I crawl back under the rock from which I came, I will be crawling back under the Mormon rock. All right, so let's try to keep that in perspective. The second thing is, I was born LDS. I went on a mission, was an assistant to the president. I was strictly obedient on the mission. I was married in the LA temple. We went every week 
for the first year of our marriage and then every month thereafter. I taught early morning seminary. I taught Sunday school. I was, in a, I was a high priest. I was an elders quorum president. I was in a bishopric. I was in the stake high council. Uh, you name it, I did it when it comes to that. 17 years, all I did was study and read to the exclusion of other important things in our life. And my wife can attest to that. And then I attended the school of ministry for two years full time at Calvary Chapel. That's Bible study. Finally, I wrote a book about what it means to be generally born again. Now, I don't tell you these things because I'm boasting, because I have nothing to boast about. But I, I have to say this. I am a failure. I am a big fat pig, if that guy's going to call. But I know what I'm talking about when it comes to Mormonism. So if you want to live in that little fantasy land that I don't know what I'm talking about, in fact, let me give you a rule of thumb. If you think I don't know what I'm talking about, I really believe it's you who doesn't know your own religion because I'm not really getting questioned on what I'm saying. I'm getting questioned how I say it and what my assumptions are. But what I'm saying is never call into question. The doctrine seems to be straight out. All right? So let's, uh, let's go like that. Uh, do you think Mormonism is a cult? You know, let me just respond with that by asking you, why do you think that people call Mormonism a cult? Do you really think, Latter-day Saints, that it's because uh, they're picking on you and they're jealous of you? which is what we're taught, and you know, that's the devil, and the devil's trying to break down the church. Do you really think that? Why do you think most Christians, why do you think Gerald and Sandra Tanner and all their hard work dedicating to, to their lives to understanding Mormonism and getting that information out, why do you think they go and they call you those things? They call you those things because there might be some truth there. And if you don't believe that, start studying your own doctrine and finding out for yourself. All right, next question. Why are you so quick to jump up and down on people's throats on certain things, especially if a person is LDS and especially if they don't agree with you? Um, I get asked quite a bit in Southern California to go to people's houses where the missionaries are going to be and to be a guest there. Sometimes they're Christians, sometimes they're investigators. And I go and I sit in the living room and I listen to the missionaries give their missionary discussions. And I listen to the absolute falsehoods that the missionaries share with people who invite them into their house to hear the supposed truth of the gospel. And then when I go to the Salt Lake Airport every week to fly in and out twice I'm in there, I see between 10 and 20 or 30 missionaries, male and female, going out to share this same stuff with the world. When a Latter-day Saint calls on this show, and tries to paint the same pictures that the LDS missionaries do in their door-to-door -door campaigns. I'm not going to stand for a minute to let them do it. So when a Latter-day Saint calls and starts to paint something that is uh, um, publicly acceptable, I'm not going to let you do it because I know the doctrine. And I'm going to call you on it. And that's why I'm quick on Latter-day Saints when they start to say something to jump down their throat as it sounds. Because... You know, there's no reason for me to let you paint a picture that's not genuine when it comes to their doctrine and theology. I hope that answers the question. Are you still a Mormon? Why the title Born Again Mormon? If a person is born again, they cannot be a Mormon. This is from our Christian friends. Uh, I am not a Mormon any longer. The title Born Again Mormon refers to people who come to know Jesus Christ who have yet left the LDS Church. I came to know Jesus Christ. I remained LDS for four years till the Lord let me out. Some people leave immediately when things happen in their lives. Some people it takes time. The title Born Again Mormon just refers to people who have given Jesus a chance and 
are, are, are still in the LDS church at that point. And that's what my book is for. It's for them to understand what's happened to them, what can happen to them, and where the Lord will probably, in all probability, assuredly lead them. All right, next question. Um, what about your family? Are they still LDS? How do you live together? All of my family are LDS. Um, when I left the church in the past two years, all have become Christians. My oldest daughter is kind of still wondering which, what to do, but it's not a wonderment between the uh, Christianity and Mormonism. It's a wonderment between the world and, and Christianity. Uh, none of them have had their names removed from the church. My wife still attends the LDS church to help her mom, but uh, she is a Christian through and through and attends Christian churches with me, and she's going through a process of, of coming away. What is a good church I can go to in the, in the, in the blank area? This is an often asked question. Our website, www.bornagainmormon.com, has a list of recommended churches in the area. Next question, explain the Trinity. Uh, when, when people begin to see Mormon doctrine for what it is, there are four general areas that they have difficulty with in that process. One is the Trinity. One is a pre-existence. Latter-day Saints have a hard time getting away from the thought that they lived in a pre-existence. Um, one is being sealed or married for time and all eternity. That means the families are forever thing. And uh, the other one is in the literal hell. Those four things, most Latter-day Saints, when they come to know the truth of Mormonism, have trouble letting that go, and it takes a little bit of time. As far as explaining the Trinity, I can't do it. The reason I can't do it is because God is not completely comprehensible to me, and I don't know if God ever will be. So I can't explain what, what makes him up the way I can explain what makes this glass up, okay? I can show you a diagram that is used quite a bit, and I, hopefully this is coming out right. But what it shows you is God and three parts. We have Father, we have Son, we have Holy Spirit. And one God, three parts. Okay? That is the best diagram if we have to have diagrams as people to illustrate what the Trinity is. The, Trini the, the Godhead, LDS concept, is not God the Son, God the uh, Holy Spirit, God the Father, separate and distinct three gods, but one God of three parts. Okay? Hopefully that helped. Next question, why don't you ever go to the Bible and read scriptures to, offend the, to defend the positions that you have? There's a couple reasons. All right? First, my brain understands concepts. I read the Bible through and through, and I'm able to understand if this, where this concept fits and, and where it doesn't. And if someone speaks to me in a concept that doesn't fit with I understand the Bible as a whole to be, then I know that I'm not hearing truth. That's how God has made my mind. I, I don't, I'm not saying it's the best way. Um, for me, maybe it's the best way, but for others, it's not. But God made my mind to understand conceptually what's going on. That's how I can take the whole of Mormonism and understand conceptually what it is and see where error is relative to the Bible. The second thing is... is um, I uh, don't go to specific verses usually in debating because it usually creates debate. And I know that speaking with Mormons, if I bring up a, one verse, they're going to bring up another one, and I'll spend my time going back verse by verse, and that's called bashing, and we do that, and I've done that. 
And I don't want that to be that. I want you to understand Jesus is the answer first. Spiritual rebirth and giving up to him is, is the answer first. Not whether the Sabbath day is right or wrong or tithing or the word of wisdom or this. Jesus. Our show is about Jesus Christ. And when that is understood, your questions specifically about the Bible can be handled by much smarter people than myself. All right? I am not here, believe it or not, to convert you. I'm not here to bash you. I'm not here to prove that I am uh, superior. I'm here to share the truths that God gave me, and you can decide what to do with them. But that is why I'm here. Now, of course, we have a question that comes up a lot. What do I think of the law of tithing? And I'm going to break my rule right now. In Galatians 2.19, it says, For I, through the law, am dead to the law. Okay? For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. All right? What does that say? The law, I'm dead to the law. I have no law that I live by. I live by Jesus Christ. I live by His Spirit. I live by His guidance. I do not follow law any longer. I'm not under the burden of law. The law of tithing is not there. It's not there in my heart. It is not something that we need to follow. The scripture says, it uses the word give a cheerful giver. Be a cheerful giver. In the, in the, you probably heard this before, but the translation in the Greek is hilarious. It means be a hilarious giver, a happy giver. Whether you're giving a dime or whether you're giving a 90% of your income, you must be, as a Christian, a hilarious giver. The law of tithing, as Mormons understand it, place you under a burden, under a legalism. And you're counting out pennies to make 10%. That's not what it's about. The spirit is to give cheerfully, to give hilariously, hilarious. And that is it. And, and I found, this isn't always the case, but I have found that many Christians give far more than 10% when they truly are Christians. And so I believe that, that the law of tithing is an inferior way to give uh, when it comes to the church. Okay, do you believe in prophets today? Why or why not? I believe in prophets today. I believe in the gift of prophecy. I don't believe that there is one prophet on the face of this earth that leads and guides and directs God's kingdom. No, I don't. I believe Jesus Christ fulfilled the law and the prophets. I believe that... Um, it says in Acts 2.17, in the last days, your women will prophesy and your old men will, your young men will, will uh, see visions and dream dreams. Okay, so I believe that prophecy, the gift of prophecy is out there today. And I know, in fact, I know women who prophesy, but I don't believe in the prophet like Moses any longer. Jesus is my high priest. We follow him. Okay. Uh, also, Matthew 21, 33 has a great parable about prophets and prophecy, and I highly recommend that. Next question. Do you have to go to church to be saved? No. But once you're saved, you'll want to go to church. Uh, next one. What role do works play in Christianity? Uh, people know our faith by our works. Our works are evidence of our faith to man, not to God. God judges the heart. Man looks at our works. Works are vital to any and every committed Christian I know. And I know Christians work far harder in what they do than, uh, than what you would think. So works are very important to those who have been saved. Uh, next question or statement. I know Joseph Smith is a true prophet. I get that a lot. My question is, um, do you know that the moon is made of Swiss cheese? I mean, do you really, really, really know the moon is made of Swiss cheese? And, and 
And how do you know that? Do you look at the moon and do you look at its makeup and do you look what the astronauts found and have you looked at moon rocks and you do some study to see is it really made of Swiss cheese or what is it made of and how does it, how does it reflect light and all the things that go along with the moon? There's a lot of information out there about Joseph Smith and the doctrines he created. Before you tell me in your, in your one-liners that you know Joseph Smith was a true prophet, put some things in proper spiritual order that the Bible teaches, all right? First of all, go to the Lord and be spiritually reborn. Give your entire life, entire existence and will over to Him and be spiritually reborn. Then study the Bible through for a couple of years. Read through the Bible and really study it and see what you think. Then read all the trustworthy information you can find about Joseph Smith and his life. And then read the doctrinal information that he created. And then compare it to the Word of God. And then call, come back and write me and tell me you know that Joseph Smith is the true prophet of God. Okay? But to say you know it is because you were taught that and you've never looked at it or studied it is just, it's a waste of your email and, and my time. Come on. It's time to step up. Your salvation is at hand in this. You want to just believe something because it's been taught to you? Find out for yourself. Now they'll tell you, don't go on the internet. Don't look at these sites. They're not good. The reason they don't want you to do that is because there's truth there and it will cause you to think. Come on, Latter-day Saints. Whatever. All right. Are people saved by great faith, grace, God, Jesus, works, belief, or a combination of these? Christians are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. They are saved by God's grace, by their faith in the shed blood of His Son. That's what we are saved by. Okay? Why do you say Mormons are sinful people? All people are sinful. Mormons are people. Mormons are sinful. Is baptism necessary for salvation? We're almost done. No. Do you obey the Sabbath day? I can't obey the Sabbath day. I'm not Jewish. It's for the children of Israel. The Sabbath day was under the law. The Sabbath day is done away with. We'll talk about that if you have calls. Uh, do you have any doubts about having left the church? I don't have any doubts about having left the church uh, doctrinally. I have difficulty sometimes because culturally it's very hard. My entire family, I have a brother who's nine years younger than me that I almost raised, taught him how to body surf, surf, everything. We did everything together when he was a kid. And now that brother doesn't speak to me, or very, very rarely, because of my stance on Mormonism. So there's things like that that hurt me, but doctrinally, no. Ever, ever do I question having left uh, the church. Uh, finally, do, what do you think of the word of wisdom? Do you think it was inspired? Do you drink alcohol? I don't drink alcohol. I don't have things against people drinking alcohol uh, in moderation. That will go against a lot of what a lot of pastors will tell you. I think alcohol does a lot of damage in people's lives, but I, I don't uh, condemn anybody. There's liberty in Christ, and if people want to uh, drink alcohol, that's their business. All right. I hope we got to all the questions. We are now going to the phones, and we're going to line two. We're going to Grandma Barbara in Salt Lake City. Grandma Hello. Barbara. Sean. Hi. Well, God bless you. I'm still praying for you. Well, I need it. And I, I thought I had you muted on this. Oh, now I do. I'm sorry. I was going to be so quick because you've got so many people waiting. Uh, oh, you need to turn your TV down, Grandma, Barbara. I, yeah, I just turned it down. Okay. I, I, please forgive me for that. I tried to, but uh, my fingers slipped. Oh. Now, I would refer anyone listening to Second Corinthians. 517. 2 Corinthians 517. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Beautiful. And I heard 
people asking you so many times about how it feels to be born again. Yeah. You know that I used to be Mormon and my family was all pioneers. That's amazing. All right. It was very hard for me. It took me years to find the light. But first I found the real Christ. Amen. When I found the real Christ, it filled my heart with love and so much love that I, can, I find that it's very difficult for me to judge anyone. It's very difficult for me to say anything mean or do anything mean. Praise God. Praise, praise God, yes. You'll know if, when you're born again. Yes, you do. You know it, don't you, Barbara? Yes, and you'll also see things differently that you read in the Bible because if you pray about it, once you're born again, the yep. light is revealed to you because the light is in Christ. That's right. And if God is a spirit, this was my second and last point, if God is a spirit, which it says in the Bible, how can man possibly be like God? Because how can God have been as man is God once was? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. But the light is in Christ, and I know that God is. Yes. Great I am, Alpha and Omega, none before me nor after me. Sean, I'm praying for you. Barbara, thank you so much for your testimony and your words. Pray, I praise the Lord and I pray for everyone that bears a testimony to you, and I pray for everyone there with you. Thanks, Barbara. Your you take care. Family. Thank Bye. you. Bye bye. We're going to Marvin in Nampa, Idaho. First time caller. Marvin, you're on line three. Marvin? Hello. You're on the air. Okay. Do you, can you hear me, Marvin? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Okay, what's your question or comment? Well, I was just going to talk to uh, Sean about That's me. Uh, the, the that two uh, sticks. You're, you're on the air, uh, Marvin, and you're with Sean. you got to turn your TV down. There's a delay, Marvin. you got to turn your TV down. It is down. Okay. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, this is Sean. Go ahead. What about the two sticks? The two, the two sticks that I wanted to ask, ask about, the, uh, you know, what the uh, – I, I just wanted to uh, – ask you what they uh what what they represent in the mormon church because i wasn't raised lds but i have friends that are involved in it i see what they represent um uh, is they say they represent the stick of judah is the bible and the stick of uh joseph is the book of mormon and oh, uh, okay that's what that's what mormons say uh, that they represent what they actually represent are the uh, northern and southern kingdoms. And it is so apparent. That, that is really a laughable doctrine. I don't mean to poke fun, Latter-day Saints, but the two-stick theory is really laughable when you read uh, Ezekiel in context of what they're talking about. Well, well, not only that, you know, the only reason I brought that up to you, Sean, is because um, I'm a, a Messianic Jew. I go to a congregation that's messianic and we have uh what's called two house teaching too which is the house of judah and the house of ephraim yeah ephraim i'm sorry i said joseph right yes yes and that's why i ask you that because they got a little bit off on that yeah but, um it doesn't mean they're bad people i mean god no. you know is looking to save everybody you know amen 
Um, I that, have another that, question, and I'll let you go. Okay, but that's um, a really good insight, and I really appreciate that because to hear from you to validate that, that is excellent. Okay, next question. Okay, the question that I have now is, is uh, if you look in the book of Hebrews uh, 7, uh, let's go to 5, uh, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. It talks all about the priesthood. Yeah. So uh, uh, if you look at uh, chapter 8, it's called the New Covenant, which is uh, uh, Yeshua, Jesus, being the new uh, covenant in, in our life. Right. He's the new, uh, we're the new covenant. You That's know, right. With God. So, uh, and then it goes uh, along in chapter 10, it talks about there's, uh, there isn't uh, blood and bowls of goats cannot take away sins no That's more. Right. But it is Yeshua, Jesus, that takes away sin. Amen. So... So that's what I wanted to bring that up and see what you thought. I, I, I'm in a complete agreement, and I, it's good. it can't hurt anybody to hear that, Christian or LDS, to know that Jesus, it's his blood, and the bull, blood of bulls and goats did nothing. So that's exactly, what, exactly. It's just Jesus that can cleanse us. Just Jesus. Thank you so much All for right, calling. Well, hey, I really enjoy you, Sean. Hey, thanks for calling. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, we're going to read in Roy. Reed, you're on Heart of the Matter. Reed? Yes. You're on Heart of the Matter. You're on the air, Reed. Hi, Sean. Hey, man. How you doing? I got a question to ask you about um, about the division of churches. Yeah. What? Go ahead. Do you have your, do you have your TV on? Yeah. You got to turn that beauty off. I have a question about him the dividing of churches. Okay. It says that in 1 Corinthians, okay. chapter 1, verse 10. All right. Do you, do you think that makes it a wrong religion for him to divide from the FLDS to the LDS? I don't understand your question. Well, in 1 Corinthians, it says that God's church would never be divided. Right. And then that, that makes it, um, they, they've divided from FLDS to LDS. Oh, I see. You mean the, the schism they had back in the 1800s? Yes. Oh, I see. Well, that's a, it's a good argument, but, I mean, they could make the same argument probably against the body of Christ or the Christian church is bifurcated into a thousand different religions over time. So I'm not sure it would hold water in a good uh, apologetic debate, but um, it's, a, it's a good insight. It's an interesting insight. Okay, now another question. You just mentioned something about days. Yeah. In Rome, First Romans chapter twenty-seven, yeah, it, it talks about men with men working. Uh, yeah, and how how wrong it is. Yeah. So, and you were saying earlier that they can go, they can still be entered into heaven. Well, you have to understand what I mean by that. What I mean by that is it's not the it's not the homosexuality. It's their lack of being regenerated by Christ. It's their lack of faith in Him. Because when they have faith in him, we know that what the scripture says about homosexuality. And so I just think we've approached, it's semantical, but I think we approach it the wrong way sometimes. We go out and we say, your homosexuality is wrong, wrong, you're, you're sick and evil. Maybe that's true, or it is true. But the problem is that doesn't get them to change. But if they understand they have to have Jesus in their heart and life, it's the same approach with the Mormons. It's like saying to a Mormon, you got to stop being a Mormon. you got to stop being a Mormon. I mean, how many times can you say it? They're not going to listen. But if you get Jesus in the mix and you let him get in there and do the changing, then the whole, the whole operation changes. And that's what I mean by that. Okay. That right. sounds good. Okay. Hey, thanks, John. I praise God. All right, Reed. Thanks for calling, man. Take care. Bye-bye. We are going to, let me see this really quick. What is thicker, butter or water?
We are going to Jeff on line one. Jeff from Provo. John? Hey, Jeff. Hey. Hey, I just, I don't want to ask you a question or, or get you off on any other subject. I just want to tell you, you're an awesome man. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm down not. here in Provo. I work for a company that is 99.9% uh, LDS. Wow. Hard time trying to move up in that company huh. just for that simple fact. But, uh, you know, I'm a single dad in Provo, and you don't hear that. And wow. it's all through prayer. Jeff, Godspeed to you, man, and, and take care. We'll include you in our prayers. Thanks for watching, and uh, Lord's going to take care of you. You're on his side. You bet. Hey, one question for you. What can I throw out to these, uh, you know, the LDS believers in, in my company or, or anywhere that can make them really sit down and think, you know, am I doing, am I doing the right thing? Well, um, there's a couple things that may, may help. One is asking them about their assurity of knowing that they're saved. That if they don't know they're saved, they can't have peace. And Jesus promised peace and rest. And if they don't know that and they're constantly working for it, then they're on a treadmill of no peace and no rest. That's one. Another one I talk to a lot of Latter-day Saints with is sin. They, they like to believe that they sin only in the big, they don't sin in the big outward stuff. They don't commit the adultery, or a lot of them don't, or they don't commit the murders and things. But, you know, talk to them about sin and, and convict them through sin. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for watching, man. You take care. All right, bye. Okay, bye-bye. We have Meryl and Holiday online too. Meryl. Yeah. Man, I haven't heard from you in a while. Meryl, what's going on? <laughs> oh, I've just been watching every week. I mm. haven't called for, oh, it's been just two or three weeks. You ready to come over to the side of light? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, uh, yeah, there's different degrees of light, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm certainly trying to stay from the dark, away from the dark. Well, yeah, that's good. So what's going on, man? Well, I just wanted to... Oh, oh, you're there. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, it's me, Meryl. Sean. We're having problems with the delay thing that we've got on. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, Sean, let me get right to it uh, okay. after the pleasant, pleasantries. Um, a former First Presidency, uh, Joseph F. Smith, John R. Winder, and Anthon H. Lund, in speaking of the preexistence and the origin of man, said, quote, man as a spirit was begotten and born of heavenly parents and reared to maturity in the eternal mansions of the Father, uh -huh. that man is the offspring of celestial parentage, and that all men and women are in the similitude of the universal father and mother and are literally the sons and daughters of deity. You're a son. You're a father. I wanted to know how, what you felt about uh, the idea of a heavenly mother. I think that the idea of a heavenly mother comes from Dionysian uh, uh, philosophy. I think that it is, has Greek origins, if not before. I think that it is pagan. And I think that uh, they talk about a, uh, the queen of heaven. I can't remember what book it is in the Old Testament. Um, but uh, I think that it is sheerly a pagan idea. I think the word Elohim in Hebrew uh, has aspects of both uh, masculine and feminine traits. I don't think we need to have gender-specific gods in order to understand us. God is everything, and I think all of us are created in His image, and I think that that was sheerly 
a man-made philosophy of Joseph. Okay, let me reason with you. Okay. Um, we live with our earthly parents. You believe that, I know. Why not having heavenly parents? Um, Doesn't that make sense? Well, yeah, it makes sense to a man. That makes great sense. But, you know, our ways are not God's ways. And, first of all, it's not biblical. Okay. And so it's easy, uh, Merrill, to come up with a great philosophy that makes a lot of sense. I mean, when you read the Communist Manifesto, I almost became a communist. It made so much sense. Okay. But it doesn't make it right. Let me, let me present one more thing. Okay. Uh, physical element, would you agree that it's indestructible? Physical elements indestructible? Physical element. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think physical uh, elements are indestructible. Uh, scientists say that matter cannot be created nor destroyed. Yeah, that's the second law of thermodynamics, and, and, uh, and I, that's scientists. I believe that God can create or destroy anything. Okay, and see my point in that, in, in logic. You, you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. But remember what Jesus said about, or I think it was Jesus, sorry, Lord, if it wasn't you. He said to the Greeks, you know, uh, and to the Jews, the Jews, I forget what the scripture is, sorry, again. But the logic isn't what does it. Okay. And, 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 but again, let us reason together. I, I'm not sure if I understand why, why things can't fall into logic. Well, because, Merrill, the, you have to have some measuring stick by which you go by. Otherwise, you are subject to everybody's logic. Anybody who has a good mind or a sharp mind can come up with some logical premise that will sound appealing. That's why, that's, you're, what you're really stressing here is the importance of the Word of God. Because it does give us a, a ruler by which we can measure all things that are, are taught to us. Well, my point in bringing that up, I do believe that physical element is indestructible, as scientists tell us. You don't think God can destroy a physical element? I think spiritual element is eternal. It's always existed. You asked me about physical elements. I'm, I'm talking about physical and spiritual. Okay, you don't think God can de destroy a physical element? Well, with physical element, I'm not so sure about that, but mm. not, not spiritual. Wow, that's interesting. Well, I'm really glad you're sharing it, uh, Merrill, because the audience you can, can hear that this is what Latter-day Saints believe, and it's true. I, they, they, they do believe in there's no such thing as immaterial matter. That, well, they, they do teach that uh, the elements are eternal with God. Yeah. That, uh, the, uh, that they, they, co they have coexisted with God yeah. through the eternity. Which is classic. So, again, Merrill, I'm using what you're saying. Audience, matter has coexisted with God. But that's God didn't create it. And that's LDS teaching. Cre create means to organize. Okay, we're going back to that whole uh, argument. And I believe God is the first and the last. In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, matter. Okay? So, Merrill, we're going to agree to disagree again, but it's love. I love hearing your voice again. Okay. And we'll talk again. Take care. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Brian in Taylorsville, first-time caller. Brian, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi there, Sean. Great show tonight. Thanks, man. Hey, I'm calling um, about baptisms for the dead. Oh. I grew up LDS, and I am no longer LDS, and searching for God in my life. Um, your show has been a great inspiration to me finding that. Thanks. Um, I, I would just like to say that when I, I can remember doing the baptisms for the dead and thinking to myself, what am I doing 
baptizing these people against their will. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I, I was really scared by it. And it's, it's one of the things I used to question when I was growing up in the church, and I used to get in a lot of trouble for it. Don't ask the questions, or they, I would get a lot of fumbling. And yeah. I'd like to hear your take on it. Well, I have a few views on it. One, I think it was a very minor reference to something historical, or, and I think that the way it was uh, described by Joseph Smith biblically is totally incorrect. And I think that if taken in context, and it's a very disputed reference in, the, in 1 Corinthians, but uh, I don't think there's any substance to it uh, with regard to the Mormon practice of it today. Second thing is, uh, your experience was unusual. You must have always had a heart for God because most LDS kids love doing it because they get to go to the LDS temple and they get to get wet. And so it's like this, uh, this tactile experience they get to have, and it's like an introductory to going to the temple in the future. So in some ways, it's ingenious of how it ropes people in. But I don't believe that baptism, uh, vicarious ordinance work for the dead, is anything but a construct of the man and Joseph Smith to keep Latter-day Saints um, on that treadmill, just working away, busy, 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 so they don't have time to think or really worship the Lord. Well, let's, let's give people some free will in this life and let them find God on their own, I'd say. Well, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that finding uh, people, God on their own is really the only way they're going to do it. Uh, you or I certainly can't change it, but we can certainly voice our opinions, and we can certainly say what the Word says about it. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, thanks for calling, man. Appreciate your time, Sean. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Edward and Layton, line one. Edward, we have a five-second delay, callers. It's a new thing because of our mean people out there. So we got a five-second delay. Turn off your TVs. All right, Edward. Hi, how you doing, Sean? I'm doing well. How are you? I got two questions for you. All right. Uh, the first one was, why would they not let the LDS, why would they not let blacks into the priesthood? Okay. Uh, the, the simple, simple bottom line answer is prejudice. Okay. And if you really want to look at it, if you look at it historically and every other way, it was prejudice. Okay. Uh, my second question, uh, is it believed, I've heard it's been believed that uh, LDS view blacks as having the mark of Cain? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's been taught uh, definitely in older textbooks, definitely uh, pre-McConkie, uh, going back, Joseph Fielding Smith, going back, uh, definitely Brigham Young, uh, the Mark of Cain, definitely a LDS belief. They've kind of softened on that as they let blacks hold the priesthood in 78. So uh, they've, uh, they've backtracked, they've become more politically correct on that. And they're trying, they're really trying to um, make amends, so to speak, for that. But uh, still, it was a, definitely a practice, and, and uh, of course, they say that God's time told them that it was time for all men to have the priesthood in 78, and so they did it, but uh, pretty, it's, a, it's an ugly mark. I haven't talked about it in the 26 shows at all because uh, I, I don't usually go to the uh, dirty laundry to try to bring Mormonism down, but you brought it up, and it's just a really ugly thing of their past. Hey, Sean, I appreciate your uh, show. Hey, thanks for calling. I really appreciate it, man. All right. Talk to you later. We're going to Hal in Clearfield, a first-time caller. Hal, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Fine. Say, Sean, I happen to be a born-again Mormon. You do? Yeah, from 41 years ago. <laughs> well, there's something yeah. wrong here in the equation, Hal. I'm 
still 100% of a charge. Can we, can we analyze this? <laughs> can we analyze this, Hal? Well, let me ask you a question first, Sean. All right, go ahead. Paul said there would be some of Paul, some of Apollos, some of Cephas, and some of Christ. Where do you place yourself? I'm of Christ, my friend. Well, how's come 90% of your quotes are from Paul? Well, I like Paul a lot. <laughs> I like Paul a lot, too. Yeah, I like but, Paul, because Paul lays out the, grace. You see, Jesus... I looked up the word grace yeah. in my strongest concordance. Which is not a good concordance, but go ahead. And I find out that Jesus did not mention grace one time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Yeah, that's why I don't quote Jesus when it comes to grace. Jesus and, is grace. He is incarnate apostle, grace. Paul the Apostle quoted him 109 times. Uh-huh. Now, doesn't that put you more in the place of Paul rather than Christ? No, because I preach Christ. I teach Christ. Christ is the end of all. But just remember, Paul had a specific calling. Do you think that he was... Uh, talk to on the road to Emmaus? Well, of course he was. Well, he, has, he had a mission, and that mission was to help people understand what Jesus did. Remember, Jesus' mission was to who? Was it to the Gentiles? No, it was to the Jews. And that's why his life was all about what he did, what he fulfilled in the Old Testament, and that's what the whole, all the new the, uh, Gospels are. But Paul, he explains what Jesus did when he came. That's why he's so important. Now, let me ask you a question, born-again Mormon, 41 years. Quid pro quo, all right? Go ahead. Are you certain in your salvation? I'm as certain as I can be at that particular are, point. Born are you again. certain in your salvation? Yes or no? Come on, you got you to gotta fight with yes or no. How? I don't take the Protestant viewpoint on that. Okay, well then I would question your spiritual rebirth because no matter what religion, I'm talking about Jews too, no matter what religion people are, when they are spiritually reborn, they know they're saved. And that is the qualifier for people who claim that they're born again for me. The other one is, uh, if I might, do you, um, uh, is salvation only by Jesus Christ, only by faith in him? Or does it take works too? Well, it takes both. Okay, so then again, I got to question this claim of being a born-again Mormon of 41 years. This isn't fair at all, Mr. Clearfield. You're playing with a double deck. Hey. <laughs> hey, I've sent you five bucks on the subject. <laughs> I mailed them to your California address. They have at least nine born-again experiences in for people that are still solid in the church. Yeah, well, you know what? I don't deny. I don't deny that. I don't deny that. I don't deny it. But I do believe that 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 experience has to progress to something more. All right, I got to go. We got more calls, but thank you so much for calling. We're going to Zach in Springfield. Zach, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, um, Sean. Hi, Zach. Uh, um, you got to turn your TV off, buddy. Okay. Um. I was just want, um, I would just like to say how um, grateful I am that you're doing this show. It, I think it is helping one yes. by one the people are um, realizing the truth. And I would just like to ask a question. Yes. Um, my, I'm Christian, and my neighbors are all Mormon. Okay. And they just have, I just don't get how they can be so um, mean and um, un- uh, 
unfeeling um, about our family, but then on Sunday go to church and act like they've been so nice to everybody and perfect. Zach, well, let me give you my interpretation, and, and I'll try to explain this. When, when you belong to a club or to a church that has rules, that you're obeying those rules make you worthy and righteous and good, those kind of rules make people mean. Because if you're not doing what they're doing, then they pick on you. And so what's happening is they can see you don't do what they do. Therefore, in their minds, they can think you're not a good person. And then therefore, in their minds, they can treat you meanly. Now, we know, and you know, Zach, as a Christian, that that's not how it is. Yeah. That, that we treat people with love if they're not doing what we do. And that we turn the other cheek if someone's not doing what uh, we do. And we love them, and they see that love, and they want to know Jesus more. But when the Mormon church is built on a system of things they must do all the time, and they're so busy doing that, that they really don't have a heart for loving everybody else. So the best thing you can do, Zach, you keep loving them, keep setting an example, and stay away from that church. Okay. Hey, thanks for calling. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Okay, see you later. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. John and Murray, first-time caller, you have one minute, my friend. Okay. Fire away. you got to turn your TV off. Even before you, they call. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, you're on the air, buddy. Okay. Uh, i got a question. Um, I, I just heard this, that, that uh, the Garden of Eden is in Missouri. I never heard this. I'm wondering if that's a... a worldwide view or if, and I'm misdone or or if there's something going on there. No, uh, Christians generally believe the Garden of Eden is uh, between the Tigris and the Euphrates which is in the Bible but Joseph Smith Americanized uh, all religion and turned all kinds of things and he called the Garden of Eden a place called Adamon Diamond in Missouri and Mormons believe it's actually there because Joseph said it and I hope that Latter-day Saints will check that out that's a good question. I appreciate it. Call back, please. We got to end the show. We only have 20 seconds left. I plead with you, Latter-day Saints. I plead with you if you're not Mormon. If you don't know the Lord, to go to him and just say, take over my life. Please give me this rebirth that Sean is talking about on this show. I want it, and I'll wait for you to give it to me, Lord. Teach me your ways, and he will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I promise you. We'll see you next week on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride, going nowhere I am an existential cowboy on the wind And I won't be coming out, I'm going This man's awake a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the light filled monkeys start.